Good morning. I, uh, I really like that passage in Romans. There's a, quite a few passages I like in Romans, but that's one of them. And I always find it interesting when we read that passage, uh, because I think I've heard probably verse 23 more than any of the others uh, from that one little passage. And, and uh, Romans 3.23 is what? For all have sinned, right? All, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And, and so we know that passage, we've heard that passage, but what's the, what's the actual message of, of that passage as a whole? You know, we, we focus on that. We, we probably know that passage better than the rest, that verse better than the rest. Um, because it does have a valid point and something maybe we talk about. But the, the whole message as a whole is that God justifies, right? That God saves and it's through Jesus Christ that we can have this, this glorious life uh, in Him. I was thinking, you know, as, as Alan was praying uh, and mentioning the cross and, and how difficult the cross must have been for God. And, and I was thinking about that. Um, I've often thought about uh, time as it relates to God and, and, and what it must have been like for, for Jesus, the Son of God, to limit himself in time. Have you ever thought about that? That, that God, who is not confined by time or space, limited himself to be that, right, in, in this human body. Jesus was not... Uh, everywhere all once he was he was there right he was on the cross suffering physically so now god if you think about god not being confined with time does god have to look back at the cross if god is not confined by time and not does not see time linear as we think of time happening as in it happened back then or it will happen here but but god just sees time does god have to look back at the cross. Okay, so if he doesn't have to look back at the cross, then every moment that he deals with that difficult time, right? He sees that over and over and over and over and over again as, as we think of time. Think of the difficulty of that. Think of the choice that that was to make that then the plan of salvation. That he was willing to not only send his son to die, but to then have to have to see that all throughout all this time and to know that it was because of our sins. We often look at our lives and, and we see the difficulty, we see the hurt, uh, we see the pain. And, and our world, uh, our world as a whole, faces a great deal of, of that. It faces a great deal of hurt. And struggles with it. And, you know, it struggles with uh, the pain of, of life. You've probably uh, had someone at some point in your life wonder to you or, or question you on why God allows certain things to happen. Why, why does God allow pain and suffering? Why does God allow this to happen? If, if God were real, certainly we wouldn't have to deal with all of this, right? All of this pain or all of this hurt. You probably had someone at some point question that, right? I think we get so caught up in that, and the world definitely gets so caught up in that, that, that often the, it is the pain or the hurt or the struggling that seems to drive people. It becomes the focus of life instead of 
the hope and the joy and all that comes from, from God. And the, and the truth is that that hurt, that, that pain that the world faces is not going to go away. I know that that's not an overly optimistic message, but it, it's not going anywhere. The world has this, this suffering that it's going through. And, that, and that the reality is, is that they, that pain, that hurt, that anger, that, that hatred will, will not go away because sin still exists in our world. And so we go back into Romans chapter 3, and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because of that, because of that sin, there is all of this other stuff that we'll have to face because of our own sins, what we'll have to face because of other sins, that we'll have to deal with the hurt and the pain and the loss and the suffering, the hatred. But that's not, the, that's not the only message we have, right? And yet the world will then be divided in, into really into two groups. It'll be those that, that choose uh, love and those that cannot embrace it. Whether we will choose to, to love the way that God has called us to love, to respond to the love that God has given us, to accept the grace that he's offered us, or those that will refuse to embrace it, those that will continue to act in hatred or anger or jealousy or, or lust or pain or death or, or so many more of those things that lead away from God. And so there will be this continual cycle then of pain and hurt and anger in our world. Not many of you are smiling. That doesn't seem like a very happy message, right? But this world is not without hope. You know, sin leads to all of that. God, from the very beginning, said, Don't disobey me. If you do, it will lead to where? Told Adam and Eve, it will lead to death. And then after they sinned, they begin to understand what life is going to be like now that they've had this little bit of separation from God, that there's going to be struggle and turmoil, there's going to be pain, there's going to be loss and anger, there's all of this stuff that goes with sin. But we are not without hope. I hope we recognize that. I hope we, we understand that as much as there is suffering in this world that is not without hope, that there is within this life hope. Will you still have to deal with the hurt and the loss and the pain and the anger or hatred of others? Will you still have to deal with the fallout of sin? You know, God has not promised us that we'll escape that. I mean, we live in this world. And so we will have to deal with all of that. But there is hope in Him. God loves, so there is hope. You know, God has called us, so there is hope. God gave his son, so there is hope. He still loves us, and nothing, uh, you turn into another one of my favorite passages in Romans, and nothing will be able to separate us from that love that God has, that his God has given us. And so in that love, there is, there is definitely hope. Now, that love and that, that hope that we can be connected to through the death of Jesus Christ is there and it is eternal. It's there because God is eternal. 
but it's not a given that we will be connected to it. Does God freely offer it? Is it eternal because God is eternal? Does it, does it last throughout the ages? Yeah. Are you connected to it? Are you a joint heir with Jesus? Well, that makes a choice, right? Even when the, when the life doesn't unfold the way we want it to, are we still going to choose to be righteous and holy because He is righteous and holy? Are we going to continue to be as He's called us to be? So that's placed on us then to decide how we're going to respond. How we're going to choose to live. Are we going to respond in faith, in love, obedience, in gentleness, in kindness, in patience? Are we going to live out the hurt and the anger and the, and the hatred that, that this world puts forth when it lacks hope? It is not enough for us to know that God loves us. Now, hopefully you understand what I'm saying. It is not simply enough to know that God loves do you know that God loves the world? It's the most commonly known passage in all of Scripture, John 3.16. Do you know that God loves the world? Yes. Does that knowledge of knowing that God loves the world save you? In and of itself, no. Now, if it compels you to respond in faith and in love, right? Then, then yeah, you might you might argue that yeah, that that knowledge actually does uh, bring us to salvation. But but salvation is is this calling for us to be responsive, right? To respond to to that love that God has poured out to us to come to Him in Acts chapter two. After hearing the message, after hearing the gospel, after hearing what Jesus has done, and they were cut to the heart. What does Peter say? They say, what, what should we do then in response to this? To all that you've told us about Jesus Christ, what do we need to do? Is Peter's response, well, invite Jesus into your heart. Or you know that Jesus, God loves you, that's simply enough. Is that what he says? Well, no, that's not what he says. You know, there's, there's building on that, right? There's, a, there's something greater than that. He says, you must repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. You have to respond in faith that God is calling us to. That God is calling us to choose this. Now, there's other passages that talk about predestination and this, this idea that God has chosen, that God knows who's going to respond, and He does. You can't argue with that. If God is not confined by time, then God knows, right? God has chosen before the creation of the world those who will follow Him because He knows all of those things. And so there's this choice that was made by God. But it doesn't just leave us off the hook. To say, well, I'm going to go to God and be with Him for all eternity because He chose me, but I don't have to do anything about it. Well, that's not what God says. God does say He wants you to do something about it. He wants you to live by faith. He wants you to respond. He wants you to come to Him. To repent of your sins and be baptized. So that we can be at a place where we have peace with God. Are you in a place right now 
where you have peace with God? Are you living currently, right now, at peace with God? You don't have to, obviously don't have to give a response, but you can think about it. That there is a, a call for us to be at peace with the God who created us. Turn into Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1, says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So we have peace with our God. And that's the desired relationship. That's the desired place to be, right? Is to have peace with God. We know that at just the right time, Christ came and died for those who were sinful, those who were his enemies, those who were lost. That's why Christ came into this world. But they were not at peace with God. Those who don't have a relationship with God are not at peace with God. There will be those that, that cry out to the Lord throughout their lives and don't have peace with God. There will be many who claim to be Christian and will not have peace with God. How does we get this peace with God? It's not something that we create. It's not something we, we feel as an emotion only. It says here, Therefore, in the very first verse, Therefore, having been justified by faith. So how do, we, how do we have this peace with God? Well, we need to be justified, right? We need to be justified by, by how? By, by faith. Now, what does that mean that we are justified by faith? This is 100% true, right? <laughs> There's no getting around what this passage says. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with our God. So we are justified by faith. What is faith? What does it mean to act in faith? What does it mean to come to God in, in faith? What does it mean to have a life lived in faith? Is faith the simple belief that God exists? That God saves? That Jesus is the Savior? Well, that's a good start, right? But what would James say about that? You go into James and read that. What, what does he say about that kind of faith? Okay? It, it, that kind of faith is dead. Because even, even the demons believe all of those things, right? Are they justified by faith? And that's a, that's a very simple question to answer. That no, they're, they're not. Because that simple belief that God is real, that God is who he says he is, that Jesus is the Savior, is not enough. So what does it mean then that you're justified by faith if faith is not just believing? 
Well, James goes on to say more about faith, right? That there has to be this action, that faith is alive, that faith has this works that is connected to it. Not that there's a separation from faith and works, and that sometimes uh, confuses us because we think, well, I have faith and I have works, and, or my faith leads to works. But faith is this action, right? When we have faith in God, it is nothing that we can keep ourselves from. We will respond to Him, right? That we'll want to live the way that He's called us to live, that it corresponds with faith. We don't have faith in our hearts and say, well, I'm just going to be a faithful person, but it doesn't show in any way that I live. Well, if you're a faithful person and it doesn't show in any way that you live, are you a faithful person? Well, there's probably more to that argument than I've simplified it to, but no. Faith is a response. It's not just believing and knowing what God has said and done for us, but it is actually embracing what God has said and what God is and what God has done and translates then into how we live. Because we're changed when we are justified by faith. When we live by faith, our faith needs to be alive. And, and so then going on from that, it says, having been justified by faith, we have peace with our God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we understand that, that this comes through our Lord, who is Jesus, the Son of God, that this faith connects us to what He has done so that we can't boast, right? It's not us, right? So don't stand before God and say, look how faithful I am. Look all the things that I have done. I must be justified because I've worked so hard in this life. Is, is that the response that, that God wants us to have when we stand before him? Is that what God's going to see when those who are justified by faith stand before him? What's he going to see? The blood of Jesus Christ who washes us clean. Right? Now, do you believe that? Do you have faith in God and trust in him that that's true? Yeah, we do. That, that's the whole point of it. So then we wouldn't say, well, my faith heals me from that sin. I'm justified by faith because my faith allows me to be connected to Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. We can't ever forget that step. We can't, we can't bring it to the point where we think that we're saved because we are Christians. Now, we are saved because of Christ, and then we take on his name in our Christians, but we're not saved because we're Christians. We're not saved because we sit in these pews. Right? We could get rid of these pews and have chairs. We still wouldn't make a difference. We're not, we're not saved because of them. We're saved because of Christ and what Christ has done and our, our connection to him. And so when it goes back to, therefore, having been justified by faith we, faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Going on then. Through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God, in which we now stand. We find ourselves now standing in this grace I contemplated to asking you to stand but not many of you seem happy with that idea so we'll just leave it at that but this is the grace in which we 
now stand. What does that mean to you? I mean, not, not in a sentimental way, where you're thinking, oh, well, that, I'm so happy about that. Okay, I, I acknowledge that. But what does it actually mean to you to stand in the grace of God? Is your life any different? Is the way you look at the world any different? Are the relationships you have with your friends, your, your spouse, your children, your grandchildren any different? Now, now for some, it's been a, a long time that they've stood in this, this grace. It may be hard to, to even think back to a time before that. But let's attempt to do that. Are our lives any different by standing in the grace of God. They cannot be the same as the world. We cannot be the same as the world. Is there a challenge in that? Is there a challenge in standing in the grace of God and being different? Do we still have to live in this world? Do we still have to work? Do we still have to interact with people? Do we still have to you know, do all the things that, that the world calls us to do just to survive? You know, like, yeah, we do, but do we have to be the same as the world? Flip into Romans 12, and what does it say? In view of God's mercy, what? This is what we're talking about, standing in the grace of God. In view of God's mercy, what should we do? Paraphrase for you. Don't, don't conform to the world, but be transformed. Don't, don't give in to thinking that we have to be like the world and fit Christianity into the world. Does Christianity ever going to fit into the mold of the world? Well, just think about it. Is Christianity ever going to fit into the mold of the world? It's not. It's not ever going to fit. So why would we want to, as the church, fit Christianity or fit the church into the world and just make it so just so smooth that they don't even notice? We don't. We don't want to. We stand in grace. And there should be a difference from those who stand in the grace of of our Lord Jesus Christ compared to those that don't. And, and I'm not saying that, well, we have this huge complex of pride that says, oh, we're so much better. What we're saying is that Christ is so much better. The sacrifice on the cross that Christ went and did is great and amazing, and we should want to call people out of darkness, out of the world, into that light. Because the change that exists there is so amazing. And so wonderful. And if we, as Christians, don't accept or recognize that being a Christian is so amazing, then how do we take that to the world and say, you've got you to come to church. You've got you to understand. You've got to know what the Bible says. Or are we just, well, you know, being Christian, I guess it's all right. Maybe, maybe I'll tell some people about it comes up in conversation or are we a little more excited about than that 
We get to stand. I'm really tempted to ask you to stand. We, we get to stand in the grace of God. And that is, that is mind-blowing to think from where we went, where we were, to where we are now. We, we want to we share that. All right, let's continue on. Uh, in Romans chapter 5, it talks about this idea of being still helpless. That Christ came at just the right time. That Christ gave his life. And, and, and for those who have responded, we understand and know that, that there's a change. Let's go ahead and, and read verse 6. It says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. I talked a minute ago about this thinking back to a time before we were before you were a Christian, do you remember what it was like to be helpless? Do you remember what it was like not to have have hope? Maybe that's a few years ago. Do you do you remember what it was like? There are many in our world who are still helpless don't have the hope that we have one of the the attributes of Christ that I hope we as a church don't ever lose is compassion Christ came into this world and was perfect I mean he, he was without sin And yet he looked at those who were sinful, those who were harming their their lives, those who were were turning away from God. And and was it anger that he saw them in? Was it disgust? Did he he look at them and say, how can you you ruin your lives so thoroughly? I mean, honestly, how, how can you choose to do what you're doing? He looked at them and saw what? Over and over and over and over again, he is described as having compassion. Is that an acceptance of their sin? No. Compassion is seeing the destructive nature of their lives. And even though it is in stark contrast to where they were, he loved them still and called them out of that. Do we see a world that is still helpless? And if we do, what is our response to it? What's our response to it? As a church, what should our response be to 
to a world that is in darkness. I mean, it's, it's it almost is such a, an obvious thing that it should go without saying. But yet I think because it's so obvious, sometimes we just kind of take it for granted. How many times do you think we've mentioned the end of Matthew? How many times do you think you've heard that mentioned? In a lesson, in a sermon, in a class, in random conversation, the Great Commission. How many times do you think you've heard that? It's more than one, I can tell you that. It's probably more than a hundred. How many times have you ever given thought to what that passage means? A lot. What does it mean? When Christ tells us as Christians and says, here, go, go and do this. Go and teach and preach and share. Go and, go and baptize. Go and, go and make sure that they follow all of the commands that I've given you. What does that mean? Is that, just, uh, is that just for the elders or the minister? Is that just who that's for? Just for the apostles? Is that, is that passage written only for those that teach? Okay, I paused there so that someone could shake their head no, but not a single one of you did. So I'll acknowledge it and then pause again. Is it? No, it's not. So what does it mean then for us as Christians, individual Christians, to go and to teach and to preach and to share and to baptize? How do we do that? How do we reach out into a world that is helpless, that is, that is in darkness, that is leading to death, and actually begin to teach, actually begin to preach, actually begin to share, actually begin to call them back to all the commandments that Christ has given us in this life, right now? How do we do that? I will suggest compassion. Having a love for the world around us. Being connected to the love that God has given us. And knowing that it should not just desire to end with us. But that we as the church want to bring people in. Why did Christ come to the world? What did he say? For this very purpose, I came to seek and save those who were lost, those who were sick. Did he go to the, to the Pharisees? Well, they, they were everywhere. I mean, they followed him around. But is that who he went to? To the scribes? Did Jesus acknowledge that they had a, a certain level of righteousness? Well, he did. I mean, he, he said, unless you have righteousness like the Pharisees and the scribes, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. So, why did he not go to them? Now, they had some of their own issues that he tried to teach as well, but why not go to them? Well, he came to those who were sick. So, where, where should we be reaching out as a church as well? We, we need to be people that... Uh, that demonstrates God's love. How, how does God demonstrate his love for us? 
Okay, Jesus Christ comes and dies on the cross, and this is the demonstration of God's love for us. Not the only demonstration of God's love, but this is the demonstration of God's love for us. That Christ was willing to humble himself, even unto death on a cross. He was willing to die on a cross, he was willing to give of his life in service of God's will. We also must be willing to give of our lives. Go back into Romans chapter 12 when it talks about giving our bodies. This is our, our spiritual act of, of worship to God. To live for Him. So that we can call people back to Him. So that they know that they are saved by His life. Do you think our world knows that? You know, we often think of our country as a, a Christian nation. And we live in maybe kind of a, a pocket of the country that has a, maybe a higher percentage of people that, that know about God, that have a knowledge of God, that would consider themselves uh, Christians. Uh, but we live in kind of an isolated uh, pocket of the country. Do you think in general people truly know God? Do they truly know what it is to be saved by God? What it is to, to, to know that Christ died? That he was buried and that he was raised? To, do you think people truly know what that means? No, I, I don't, I don't uh, think that they do. That's why we're, we're called to go and to teach and to preach and to share because that's what God has called us to do so that people will understand and know how to be saved. They're saved by him. At the end of the, the end of the chapter here, there is this, this passage, uh, really from verses 17 down to about 21. And it talks a little bit about the, the idea of us being called and uh, to having this response. And the idea of disobedience versus uh, obedience. It talks about Christ. It talks about the law. And it describes the, how sin came into the world, how, how righteousness came into the world, or justification came into the world. And the contrast there is between the one versus the law. If we as a church are connected solely to the law, or if we translate the New Testament into the law, if we turn it into that, And say, well, you know what? I followed all the commands. I followed everything that it says there. What happens? Well, the, the very sad truth is that we as a church will very much resemble the Pharisees that we look at and see in the New Testament. Do we think that that's what God wants? We know God wants obedience. We, that is without question. But what does it mean? We're not saved by the law. The law is a list of rules, right? And we could follow all of those rules, and what would end up happening? We'd know we're sinners. 
That's what it says. The law points out and shows transgressions. We are saved by this one who died for us. And that connection, that connection to God, that we are joint heirs with Jesus, who is the Son of God, because he died, was buried, and rose again, and we are baptized into that, and we're connected to him. That, that connection should allow us to understand that it is not simply just a list of rules, but it is who we are now. And that connection of who we are should then bring us to a point where we want to go into the world and we want to be obedient. We want to share. We want to, we want to reach out to people. And let them know that there is a great deal that hangs in the balance. If you read through that last little bit in Romans chapter 5, the great change is death versus righteousness. Righteousness leading to what? Eternal life. If we are not connected to him who is the one, the Savior who died for us, then it is being led to death. Do we want to have a connection with the world around us while we are teaching them what it is to be righteous? If we don't, if they do not come into that relationship, what happens? If they are not a part of righteousness, then what? If we are not a part of righteousness, then what? It leads to death. That's not a... That's not a hollow threat. God doesn't say that to scare us into response. When God says, if you're not connected to me, if you don't have peace with me, there will be death. If you sin, it will lead to death. He's not just giving a hollow threat. Have you ever seen a parent give a hollow threat? Yes, you, you probably have. It happens a lot. You know, if you don't stop doing that, I'm going to take away your toys. All of them? Yep, every single one. All right, let's see that happen. And the kid just keeps doing it, and the parent's like, no, I'm serious. If you don't do this, I'm going to take away all your toys for a month. All right, you, look, you think I'm bad? Now you take away my toys for a month and see what I do. And what ends up happening? If it's a hollow threat, what ends up happening? Well, the kid knows it's a hollow threat, right? And then you end up with spoiled little kids. I wasn't pointing at my own children, no, they're very, they're very good. It's not a hollow threat. God says this is what will happen. And when God says this is what will happen, it will happen. And we as Christians, when we recognize the power then of righteousness that leads to life, we also then have to understand the other side of that coin, that death is what awaits those who are not connected to him. And we should then want to go again, as we talk about in obedience, we should want to go to our world. The last little bit I want to talk about is the chosen versus choices. God has chosen those who will be a part of the kingdom, and he knows who will be a part of the kingdom. And a part of that chosen is the command for us to make choices that follow him. And there will be those that do, and there will be those that don't. I want you to, as we close this morning, think about your choices. Think about our choices. Is it important to you to have peace with God? 
it's important to you that there are those that are still helpless. It's important to you to, to reach out with compassion. It's important to you that you have a life of righteousness. Are we living by faith? And do your choices bear that out? Turn over into Romans chapter 6. I want to close by reading in Romans chapter 6. The very first part of Romans chapter 6 says this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who die to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Let us go ahead now and stand and sing.